Well, so glad to have you in week two of our series, All In. Everybody say, All In. All in. Now you guys say it like that, All In. All in. All right. So glad to have you. And if you weren't with us last week, I want to bring you up to speed. This series that we've launched on Super Bowl Sunday is way, way more than just a sermon series. We are in an intersection of the history of Timber Creek Church. 90 years old this year. Can you believe it? 90 years old. And we are we have a vision to see our 100th birthday 10 years from now. Not just saying, oh, we made it, bless God. But we actually can look back over the next decade of ministry and say, wow, look what God did. We are dreaming some crazy, big, audacious, scary dreams. If you're looking for a church that don't have big, old, crazy, hairy dreams, you're in the These next few weeks going to scare you to death. This church is going to scare you to death because we want to dream the kind of dreams that are not possible by our own hands, but the kind of dreams that God comes in and he gets the glory because it's all about his kingdom first. And that's the kind of all all in heart that our church, uh, that God requires for our church to go to that next level, to look back at 100th birthday, 100th celebration and say, wow, look what God did through us, in us, for us, around us, all glory be to God. Because we couldn't have done it. And we know our pastor couldn't have done it all by himself. We couldn't have done it by ourselves, but God was faithful. This series is way much more about a sermon series. It is about a two-year strategic initiative. If we're going to hit that hundredth birthday, we're going to see what, what God wants to do and all of that fulfilled. We got to get uh, we got to start on the starting block. We got to let the gun shoot and we got to have a good launch where we're headed. And so these next 24 months are mission critical for what God wants us to do. Uh, this is a, a stewardship series. It's about our resources, uh, the four T's, our time, our talent, our treasure, and our testimony. It's all about those things. And we are going to talk about finances. And so if you're a guest today and you're in this series, he's like, I knew it all at church wants my money. You, you, you've got us confused with Budweiser and Home Depot, as I've said. You, 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 you don't understand. We don't want anything from you. We want everything for you. And, and you have to understand your heart and treasure are, are integral in understanding a really surrendered life to God. Now, I want you to take this, this book, put it up in the air just like this. This is our all-in guide over the next several weeks. If you didn't get an all-in book, maybe you got one last week and you forgot it. That's okay. We got you covered. If you need a book, you didn't get one, would you put a hand up? Our team wants to serve you quickly. Put it up in the air. Wave it like you just don't know, like you do care, like you would actually like a booklet. Uh, just put it up right here. There we go. We got a couple of the front over here on the side. Ushers, thanks for, for serving them quickly. Make sure you get your name in the corner from all everything we're going to do leading up through the month of March from taking sermon notes together uh, to our weekly devotions. There's seven days of, of uh, quiet time, reflective devotions there available uh, after every single service. Want you to maximize this, uh, uh, this helpful handout so that we can really hit the ground running. All, everybody all on the same page so we can go all in. Everybody served? Okay, right there in your booklet, you will read all about the details. Now, I know I hand out a 40-some page booklet. You got this temptation, the devil like, 
read that during the rest of the service. No, that's the devil. Don't do that. You don't read that. You're going to pay attention right up here. All eyes right up here. But I want to tell you that our vision, you will see it all throughout those, those pages. We are creating community destinations where anyone can find and follow Jesus. The church, church ought not, thou, the 11th commandment, thou shalt not make church boring. Church ought to be the funnest, most engaging, life-giving, vibrant, bursting with joy and laughter kind of movement because it's the organization Jesus said he would build. Yes, all two of you, that's it, that is good. And nobody says, nobody says, ah, oh, that Walt Disney had a vision. I can't believe he spent all that money to make the most magical place on earth. Nobody complains about that. We line up and spend $14 on a hot dog to go. Nobody complains about the football stadiums being built in all these major cities. We're going to build the church. We're going to build the church. We're going to build community destination where people are going to find hope and help and healing for the whole family. It's going to be incredible. And we're starting right here in our Jerusalem. And we're rippling out the way God called us to go to Jerusalem first, right here in the city limits and zip codes of Lufkin, Texas, beyond to what God has next. Are you with me? Now, in that booklet, we talked about the all-in goal, this whole goal that we're doing over the next two years. And the goal, the secondary goal, the secondary goal is we're going to raise $8 million in the next 24 months. $8 million. Say it with me, $8 million. For some of you, that may sound like, that's a lot of money. I haven't seen $8 million yet. $8 million is, is a good chunk of money. It's nothing in the eyes of God. It's like, hey, you know, my streets are paved with gold. It's not a big deal. But $8 million is where we're going to head over the next two years. How does that break down? Well, it's including what we already usually give, 2017 and 2018. If, if our uh, giving stays neutral that it's been in the last two years, it would be 2.1 and 2.1. But over the last couple of years, our increase of giving and attendance, we're on, a, we're on an up-to-the-right uh, movement. God's blessing this church with salvations and water baptisms and increase in financial generosity. We're able to do more things. God's been very good to us. But if we just stayed the same, that'd be 4.2. So what we have to do is in order to do what God is calling us to do that's laid out in that booklet, and we'll talk more in detail throughout the next few weeks, we need to raise an increase, an increase 3.8 million over the next 24 months. Now, that's the secondary goal. There's no way that I can do it on my own, um, but I will tell you that God has blessed us with a, with a group of people that if we will sacrifice and surrender, if we'll trust God, you know what? God can do a miracle. God can do that. That's not a big thing to God. But it's the secondary goal. Because here's the deal. If someone came up to me this morning and said, Jeremy, I'm going to write an $8 million check and I'm going to pay for the whole thing. We're in. Let's go. I'm all in. We would still do this process because that's the secondary goal. The primary goal is all of us. I want you to experience what it's like to live a surrendered life in Christ, and you can't do it. You can't do it by keeping part of your life suspended away from him, especially when it comes to your time and your finances. So we want, we want everybody, the kids are learning about what it looks like to be all in. Our Timber Creek students that meet on Wednesday night are learning what it means to be all in. We're, we're, we're going to learn. And listen, if you're here and you're that one guy, you're that one girl, say, I'm not going all in. Man, you're going to ruin it. Don't do it. Don't be that guy. That guy girl. We want to go all in together and do whatever God's called us to do. You listen to God. I'm not going to sell you a timeshare. I'm not going to suggest to you what you need to do. I know that for Janet and I, we're making a very sacrificial commitment in the middle of this process. We, we, we're, we're in the process of building a house, but God is saying, okay, will you put my house first? And we're having to surrender to that. 
And we're gladly surrendering to that because we want to be his kingdom first kind of people. And we want our kids to see that it's his kingdom first, not our kingdom first. There um, in your book, you'll see on, I believe it's page 18 and 19, you're going to see uh, how do we all go all in? How do we all do this? It's through the giving ladder. Everybody's a potential giver. You see the bottom of your screen? Everybody in this room, if you got two feet in a heartbeat or if you got one foot in a heart, if you got a heartbeat and you're breathing, then you're a potential giver. Every person, every person on the face of this planet is a potential giver, whatever they might have. And what we want to do is we want to see that those of you that have a potential to give, but you're not giving, would you consider moving to become an emerging giver? In other words, if you've never trusted God with putting his kingdom first, the things that we're trying to do for the kingdom of God, would you prayerfully go all in and, and emerge from sitting and not giving to becoming someone that gives to the kingdom of God, especially in these next two years? Now, there's those of you, you give every once in a while, but it's like, you know, nobody comes to, to church without, without their pants on. If you do, hey, we'll have pants for you. Um, but you kind of come prepared. Well, when we come to church, we ought to be prepared to give our hearts and, and our treasure. And we want to see those of you that haven't really come prepared to become a consistent giver, that you would come into the storehouse, you come into the church and you'd be prepared to be a consistent giver, giving consistently to the kingdom of God. Now, the Bible gives this baseline of what God is calling us to do, and that's the tithe. That's 10%. That's way before the law, and it's a, it's a starting point for us. The 10% tithe, I'm going to talk to you in detail about that, but let me just say, God, God's given you everything you have. You got 10 cookies. You got 10 cookies. He's the baker. He gave you 10 cookies. He just wants one. He just wants one cookie. You can have the nine cookies. Eat all the cookies. Eat them before bed, but would you give me the one cookie? And what he's asking us to do, for some of you, you've never trusted him with 10% of your wealth, of your income. And he's inviting you, would you trust me with that one cookie? And then those of you that have done that part, you've been a part of the tithe, he's inviting you to take a step above the tithe and be an, an extravagant giver. Now, I don't know where you're going to land on this. We want everybody to go all in because quite frankly, there's some of you that have potential to give and, and, and you're really, really wrestling. You're wrestling with the idea of even getting here. Okay, you know what? You know what? Let's wrestle together. Don't wrestle and just quit. Don't just wrestle and bail. But let's, let's put God to the test and let's begin to flex and work the generosity muscles in our lives so that we can see everybody take a step on the giving ladder. Here on page 20 and 21, you can see a giving profile and our commitment card that we'll be handing out next week. The giving profile shows that if we have gifts of different sizes, we can hit that 8 million. And you can see on that giving profile on page 20, we need gifts of one of a million dollars and 500,000 and 250. I'm glad to say that we already have conversations happening with people that have come to me and said, you know what, God's really, really challenging me to step up and be a part, a part of that. God's going to do it. We need people that will commit uh, from all various sorts and everybody in between. That's between you and God. He knows your finances much better than I do. Uh, I don't know your finances. He knows your finances better than you do. And it's all his anyway. And we're inviting you over this next process. Here's what we're inviting you to do. I'm simply asking you, would you make a commitment to make a commitment? Make a commitment to make a commitment. If you're new to the church and you're a guest and you're dipping your toes in the water, I know that this may not be exactly what you were expecting today, but I can also tell you that God ordains your steps. He organizes your steps and you're here for a purpose. And I believe you're going to hear a challenging message today on what it means for us to go all in with all our hearts. Now I want you to turn to page 38 because we're going to jump into this morning's message. 
And on your page 38, I want you to write the words last week on the very top. And under last week, I want you to write this statement down. I will live a yes God life so I can leave a yes God legacy. The only way you look back and give a legacy of yes God to your children and your children's children in this community and this world is by living every day a yes God, palms up, surrendered heart to God. I will live a yes God life so I can leave a yes God legacy. Now, what I have planned for today, I, I, I thought about this statement and there's an individual that came to my heart so quickly about this very statement as you see their life unfold. You have seen them live a yes God life and they are in the process of leaving a yes God legacy. In December, I was in Florida at a church that has nine campuses and 30,000 people meeting on the weekend over nine locations. 30,000, did you hear that, 30,000? That's like almost Lufkin, everybody. That's almost 75904-75901. That's crazy. That's a lot of people. But it didn't, it didn't start there. It didn't start. It was the obedience of a family and five others, a coach of, uh, of, of 18 years, championship coach, who gave up the life of coaching or, or that season of coaching to, become, to plant a church in a school and to be faithful in the small things. And God began to, over the last 33 years, use Christ Fellowship and Pastor Tom, Coach Tom Mullins, to see that church grow. Recently, over the last few years, they've transitioned to his son, who's now the lead pastor. And that gives Coach Tom the opportunity to travel all across the world. He's gone almost 50 out of 52 weeks a year, just came back from Africa. And I saw him at a leadership development class on, on December. He was talking about how he liked Garrett's popcorn. And, and so what I did was I overnighted him some Garrett's popcorn. I said, hey, can I have your address? I want to send you something. And I, I, you know, he trusted me with his address. So I sent, I, and I sent him a little letter. I said, coach, you inspired me so much by how God used Christ Fellowship to impact Florida. We want to see the same in the timber country of East Texas. I know you are crazy busy. He, he is one of the 20 plus people that is on the evangelical advisory board to this guy that we know is the president of the United States. Um, he is the president of Equip Leadership, which is a organization that trains hundreds of thousands of leaders, business leaders all across the globe. Uh, they have have started the largest uh, home of hope for children in sex abuse and sex trafficking uh, in Florida and globally. And today it is my privilege to have him share his heart of faith of a yes God life and a yes God legacy with you. This is a treat for our church, a huge treat for me. I'm a little giddy uh, if you can't notice it already. I want you to stand to your feet. Give me a huge Timber Creek welcome to my friend, our pastor, our coach, Coach Tom Mullins. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank you, guys. <clears throat> you know, you got to love your pastor. He, he met me this morning at the hotel with Shipley Donuts. Come on. You know, he, he knows I have a sweet tooth. I just mentioned this Garrett's popcorn thing to him, and then, boom, I get a thing. So when he asked me to come, I had to come. I mean, who can resist that? A Garrett's popcorn and Shipley Donuts. And uh, it's so wonderful to meet your, your lovely wife. Man, you outkicked your coverage. I'm telling you that, Pastor, for sure. There, I, she must have grace and mercy and compassion upon you is all the thing I can figure. But 
You know, you guys are blessed. You really are blessed to have this kind of leaders that love you. They, you know, I, yesterday we were driving from the Houston airport here, and, and all he talked about for that hour and a half, whatever that drive was, was how much he loves you. And, and that's what inspires me. I, I, I saw his passion for you when he asked me to come. And I said, yes, it'd be my honor to come and, and to be with you and, and to share. I, I grew up in Southern Ohio, so the greatest gift I gave you was Ezekiel Elliott, who you're running back for the Dallas Cowboys. Come on, talk to me, baby, come on. Actually, that, and, and, and Dak, can you believe Prescott? He's unbelievable. I think they should have been co-MVPs this year uh, for the Cowboys. But I love Texas. If I wasn't called by God to, to minister in Florida, I would live in Texas. Because I tell you what, in Texas, we love God, we love football, we love hunting, and we love our guns. So praise God for Texas. You know what I'm talking about? We, I, I love Texas. I love it. Hey, this is so funny. I'm speaking a few weeks ago in Dallas to, to a businessmen's uh, function in Dallas, Texas. And one of my associates who've been with me for like 10 years, his name's Michael, he got recruited by a church in Dallas. And he came to me and said, Pastor, I'm getting recruited by a church in Dallas. And, and he was telling me about it. Then he told me the package he's getting. And part of the package was is Dallas Cowboy seats and, and all these other things. I said, son, take it so I, have, I can go to the Cowboy games with you, baby. So he goes and takes, goes to this church in Dallas. And so I'm in Dallas teaching. He comes over and, uh, and Michael, and the first thing Michael says to me, comes up and says, you know, hey, 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 Pastor, I got my carry permit. I said, really? Your concealed weapons carry permit? He says, yeah. He says, in Texas, it's a requirement for everyone. So I, anyways, I, I, I always feel very secure. I feel very secure. No, no terrorist going to walk in that door. If they do, they're going down in Jesus' name. You know what I mean? So anyways, <laughs> it's just great to be in Texas. You know, it's really funny. Being a football coach uh, uh, all my life, I, I played high school, college ball, and I went on and coached in college, and I coached a couple years in high school as well. But um, I, I, I love the whole team concept. And, of course, everything about the team was, as a player, I was all in. I mean, I mean that's, that, was a, that was an expectation for you. you. You had to be all in. On our teams that I coach, simple thing, just give me your best every time. I want your best every day. If you're not all in, get dressed, get out of here, get off the field. We don't have time for you. I don't have time to fool around with you. And, and you know what? It's interesting. That was so drilled into me as a player that it didn't matter what we went through. We would suck it up, get tough, because we wanted to be on that field. We wanted to be a part of that team because we were being challenged. Here's what I love about coaches. Coaches call the champion out in you. They call the champion out in you. And, 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 and that's what the church is all about. We're here to call the champion out in one another and then go out in our world and help people that are struggling understand that God has a championship life for them to live as well. I remember one time, what's your name? Justin, I remember one time in high school, I went in to make his tackle, and I go in and stick this guy, and as I stuck him, I'm a linebacker coming in, and he came through, and his face mask broke my face mask, broke my nose, knocked my four front teeth out. Well, they knew something was wrong. When I'm standing up, I got back up. I don't know how I got up on my feet. And I'm bleeding from my nose, from my mouth. And I'm standing over here, and the huddle's over there. They drag me off the sideline. Coach looks at me. Stuff's cotton up my nose. He looks into my mouth. Two of my teeth are still dangling. He pulls them for me, free of charge, didn't charge me anything. He just, he just pulled them for me. Stuff cotton in my mouth, got me another helmet, and said, son, get in the game, suck it up, and get tough. 
I went in this first half. I remember at halftime, I couldn't take my helmet off because my, my face was so swollen inside. My nose was over here somewhere. I couldn't see out of my left eye. And, and, and my head was swollen up, and I didn't miss a play. I don't remember a thing about it, but I didn't miss a play. Why? Because I had to give my best. I had to give my all. They were calling me up. I remember running back out on the field. This is funny, Jan. I'm running back out on the field. And we're running back, and we're running by the concession stand to go onto the field. And my mother was a nurse. And my father was a truck driver, and he's standing there, and my dad played football. And he played back in the days, he didn't have any face mask. If you see my father's face, you would know he played football because his nose is like, you know, it's just not right. And so they, <laughs> I'm running back out on the field. There I am. I'm swollen, bloody. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. And my mother goes, what's happened to my baby? What's happened to my baby? And my dad's going, <laughs> that's my boy. <laughs> So when I started pastoring the church, I knew nothing else but to say, okay, gang, here it is. We're small. We don't know what we're doing, but we're all in. We're going to be all after it. We're going to get after it hard. And they said, well, what are we going to get after? I said, we're going to get after loving people. I said, you know what? We don't have any resource. I don't even know how to preach. I know how to build a team, but one thing I do know, we can go out and we can have impact by loving people at their point of need. So when you see somebody in need, you do something to make a difference in their life. You add value anywhere you can in their life, and God will honor that. And so it was really interesting. I, I, I read the story that I've been raised on. I mean, my grandfather was my preacher, my pastor, so I was raised in the church. Man, we had church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, two and three week revivals. I mean, and you never miss church. I remember when finally we got a little black and white TV, and, and then Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett came on, all Disney Channel, on, on Sunday nights. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. And anyways, I'm sick, so I'm telling mom, mom, I, I'm, I'm sick tonight. I, I, I got to stay home tonight. I'm just, I'm really sick. I, I'm really sick. She says, okay, well, you're going to church. That's where you get healed. Come on. So we never, I mean, I never got to stay home. And I, I've heard, I've heard my grandfather preach on it. Matter of fact, he had me preach my first sermon at 16. I was so scared to death. I'm up there and my grandfather's a big man, about six foot four, had a big old paw for a hand. And, and I'm up there, I'm sick, nauseated. I think I'm going to throw up. And I said, Grandpa, I can't do this. I'm going to throw up. I'm really sick. I'm really sick. He said, that's good, son. He said, don't ever, uh, don't ever take for granted sharing the gospel. It's a sacred trust. You should feel that way. You should enter into the pulpit with fear and trembling. Put his hand on me and says, you'll be all right. So I got up and preached my first sermon. It was about five minutes long. <laughs> I came back and sat down. He said, he said, Tommy, he said, one day God's going to use you in mighty ways. You just stay true to him. Stay faithful. And I heard my grandfather preach on this passage I'm getting ready to read. And then when we started the church, this passage had great significance to us. So would you read it with me today? It's found in Luke chapter 10. It's Jesus being questioned by experts in the law about what does it really mean to love your neighbor? Okay, so they're getting real technical with him. And Jesus just told them, you know, what the greatest commandments are. And they said, well, what does it really mean to love your neighbor? And Jesus tells them this story. Now, in this story, I want you to see yourself and I want you to see Jesus. We're in this story. And church, let's make sure that we're not in this story. 
because there are some religious leaders in this story that could represent a lot on some how churches think about life, but that's not us, not, not, not Timber Creek. By the way, I love your name, Timber Creek. Timber Creek. That feels like a Texas church to me. Come on. Get me in the timbers, but by a creek and let one of those deer walk out. Anyways, here we go. <laughs> it says in verse 30 of chapter 10 of Luke, and Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. That's the mission of the enemy. What did Jesus say in John 10, 10? The thief has come to what? Rob, kill, and destroy. And by the way, before Christ came into our life, that's us right there. We're the guy laying on the side of the road. By the way, I saw him last night. They're all over this region, spiritually laying beside the road, waiting for somebody, somebody who has enough compassion that they will come to them at their point of need. And a priest happened to be going down the same road in verse 31. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so to a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Isn't it interesting? These two very religious men, probably coming from their time of serving in the temple in Jerusalem, are coming down. They see the man and they think, wait a minute, I can't get involved. By the way, I'm a holy man. I can't defile myself in this situation. I, I can't get, they were all consumed. They looked at the person through the perspective of how it was going to impact them. And so what did they do? They passed by on the other side. May that never be said of Timber Creek. May that never be said of Christ Fellowship. May that never be said of you. May it never be said of me. But then now Jesus talks and reveals his love and his mission. He said, but a Samaritan, someone who was misunderstood and not even loved and mostly despised, said, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. In other words, he had compassion upon him. The, the, first, the first key to us living a life of true legacy, it all starts with the heart of compassion. When Christ's heart so captures our heart, you cannot pass by. You just can't. You have to get involved. You, you can't pass by. You just can't. We're having a Saturday night prayer service, and, and this before we had Saturday night church, and, and uh, we were just in our, our very first ministry facility, and God was beginning to bless us, and, and we were growing exponentially, and it was just amazing what God was doing. And, and we realized that we can no longer contain the masses that were coming. We had, to, we had to build a whole other facility. So we stepped out by faith way beyond us, got this guy to give us a $4 million piece of property, and we were going to build a, a new worship center uh, on this property. And, and then we got into that building project. By the way, we're always in a building project, Christ Fellowship. I tell our people at Christ Fellowship, if you don't like building projects, you don't want to come here because we're going to be building until Jesus parts the eastern sky and says, all right, I'm back. You don't need to build anymore. We'll say, praise God. No more fundraising. Hallelujah. Here we go. So, so we're always building. And that's what I love about here. You guys are building. Man, I, this is like my, hey, by the way, we're pledging. I'm pledging. I'm all in. I'm pledging. Give me a pledge card before I leave here today. Get me to sign it and fill it out today. 
before I leave. All right, I'm in. I'm in. I'm, I, I want to be a part of stuff that's making a difference for the kingdom of God. You know what I mean? Man, that's what, you, got, you got me all fired up. You got me. I'm here as a guest speaker, and I'm pledging. I love it. So we're having this prayer service, and my wife's right over here where you are. What is your name, man? Huh? Sandy. Sandy right where Sandy's sitting. And she's kneeling. She's kneeling, praying with her Bible open. I walk by her, and, she, and I hear her. She's weeping. And, I, and I'm just walking and praying. We're all just praying. Our, we're just having our own prayer service. And, we're, and I'm walking along and praying. And I walk up and say, baby, what is it? And she couldn't even talk. She pointed. Tears staining her Bible. She pointed down to Isaiah 117. It says, defend the cause of the fatherless. And she said, honey, we've got to do something about the hurting children right here in our own backyard. We were, we were supporting orphanages around the world, but we weren't doing anything in our own county. And we had discovered, she had discovered there was over 2,000 children displaced from their homes. Most of them have been physically and sexually abused. What are, you, what are we doing for them? I, I, I stood up that night in the, in the service and I said, listen, it's just a prayer service, just a handful. Of, I said, listen. God's spoken to my wife. We're going to build a children's home. And we're going to rescue children. And we're going to build a safe house. We're, we're going to rescue children. I went out the very next Monday and found the property. I came back. I said, I found it. I found the property. It's already got homes on it. And it's got enough for us to build additional homes on it. Everything. Now, we're right in the middle of a building program. And my elders came to me and they said, oh, Pastor, Pastor, we know this is a good word. But the timing of this, you know, we don't even have the money to finish the project we're on. And you're launching into another project. And you're wanting to buy property and start a children's home. How are we going to do that? I said, hey, 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 don't argue with me. God spoke to my wife. <laughs> And they wouldn't dare argue with Donna because she's a saint. I think I married Mother Teresa's sister. I really do. I mean, her mission was from God, keep this boy straight, keep this boy straight. She's kept me straight my whole life. We've been married 51 years. Praise God. Woo! And I'll tell you what, she walked in here, you'd say, boy, he outpunted his coverage too. I saw her when I was 16. And she came walking in this youth, this youth uh, uh, retreat we had. And she comes walking in. She's from another church. She had on this brown dress. Mm -hmm. I looked at her and went, wow. And I bet a guy a dollar, pastor, I could get a date with her before he did. I won the dot. <laughs> Took me four years, convinced her to marry me. And the only place she would date me was church. Only place she'd date me was church. That's a good idea, by the way, keep a young man straight. We get married on a Saturday night. I waited four years for this. I said, come on, baby, finally. I'm married to my sweetheart. We went down to a real fancy place called the Holiday Inn. It was all we could afford. I went out and got some Frisch's Big Boys. That was our first meal together, a married couple, Frisch's Big Boys, and some onion rings, and a milkshake. Sunday morning, I wake up. There's my beautiful wife getting dressed. And I said, what are you doing, baby? She said, we're going to church. I said, church? Well, he ain't going to church today. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. I've been waiting four years, baby, and you tell me we're going to church? She says, we're going to church. Guess where we went? We went to church. <laughs> and we've been in church ever since. You, you, you want the secret of your marriage? Get in church, stay in church, serve in church, bring your children up in church. God will bless you when you're about his business, okay? He will bless you. 
And then when you're 51 years into this thing, you'll be more excited, more passionate, more in love than you've ever been in your life. That was free of charge. I threw that in. That's a whole marriage counseling thing right there, Pastor. <laughs> so I stood up on church on the weekend and said, all right, God's led for us to build a children's home. We don't know how we're going to do it, but we got the property. We don't have the money to do it. We don't have the money to even finish our other project, but it's God's business. And he laid it on my wife's heart. I trust her. So you all start praying about it. And you know, it was about a week later, this big old tall Arkansas guy comes walking up to me. He's about six foot six. He comes walking. I'd never met him before. I didn't know who, I didn't know his name. He comes walking up to me and he's after service. He says, preacher, he said, what's all this talk about a children's home up there? He said, I, my wife and I, we want to know what you're talking about. I said, well, I got the property. He says, well, can we see it? I said, yeah. You want to go see it tomorrow? He says, yeah. So Monday I took Bo and Myrna Adams from Arkansas they're in our church in Florida, sitting in the overflow. In a, we called it Samaria because it was the northern section of our sanctuary. And we had a wall, and we cut a wall out, and they had to, like, peek through an opening. We had, like, 500 people back there jammed up, like, in sardines, and they're, like, peeking to see because they couldn't see. We didn't have any technology, and I hollered everyone, hey, you in Samaria, you getting this? You know, and he's sitting back there. And, and, he, and he came up, and so we showed him the place. We come back, and he said, all right, that preacher, tell me, how much it going to cost? I said, well, you know, just to buy the property and get started in the first two homes, it's about half a million dollars. And we don't know where we're going to get it from, but we just trust in God because God laid on my wife's hand. He looked over at his wife, and she's crying. He looks back at me, and he says, you know what? We'll give it to you. I said, what? He says, yeah, we'll give you the half a million. I said, you nobody giving us a gift half a million. I said, what? He says, yeah, we're going to give. And see, what I didn't know was they had raised five abandoned children in Arkansas as their own and adopted them. They had a heart for children. He had been a corporate leader and had all these cotton farms. And he was sitting there brand new to our church, but he heard the vision, touched their hearts. We stepped out by faith to claim territory we couldn't even handle. But then God showed up, and he brought the provision. I tell you what, Lufton, you guys need to start... Claim a territory you know you can't handle. But then God will bring in what you need in you and through you. Now we have the number one rated children's home charity in all of America. The last two years running in a row, we've been ranked number one in the nation for child care of children in crisis and abuse. Right here in Palm Beach County. We have touched, because of my wife's prayer and vision, we've touched over 20,000 children in our region. It's unlimited what God can do when you look beyond yourself. And you say, you know what? I'm going to trust you. In this story, what I love about this man, but the Samaritan, he took pity. He had compassion. He was moved with compassion. Everything God wants to do has got to be done from a basis of compassion. Everything we do has got to be. I say, I was moved today out of compassion for what you're doing as a body. That's what moved me to say, I want to support this. I, I want to give to this because I sense the passion of God in it. We're doing it for the right reasons. We're, we're being motivated to honor God. That's what God's calling us to do. Guys, i got to read the rest of this text. Here we go. Help me, Jesus. Where are we? What verse was I in? Oh, verse 33. Verse 34. Am I 34? See, my wife, I need my wife. She helps me. She coaches me up. I lose my place. <clears throat> Every once in a while, I phase out. I've had so many concussions. Every once in a while, I'll go. 
And then I'll come back and she'll, I'll say, where was I, baby? And she'll point me right out and boom, I go right on. Verse 34. See, we had those old suspension helmets. You guys remember playing with those? Those old Rydell suspension helmets? It would ring your bell. I've had so many concussions, I can't tell you how many concussions. I've lost track of how many concussions because I really don't remember anything. I think I played at one time, but anyways, here we go. Verse 34. He went to him. I love this. He initiated action. Church, we have to be initiators. We shouldn't be responding to the crisis. We should be out ahead of the crisis. He was initiating. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he put him on the man on his own donkey and took him to the inn and took care of him all through the night. Here's what I love about this story. Not only did the man look beyond himself, but he, he used whatever resources he had and he invested time to make a difference in the man. I tried to drive this home so early too our people about we want to have a culture that we live to give. We're looking to add value anywhere we can, anytime we can, to anyone we can. When we were a, a, a young church started in a, a little middle school cafetorium is what it's like. We cleaned peanut butter and jelly off everything, mopped the floors, set up our chairs and have church. And I'd set up on the little platform with my suit and tie on. And we got this kid saved. His name was Dirk. He was a surfer dude, and he wore cut-off jeans, sloppy T-shirts, and raggeded hair, and wore the old flip-flops. Remember the old flip-flop things they used to have? They called them, I don't know what they call them now, but they were flip-flops. And he just come, and, and he called everybody dude. I was pastor dude. He's like, hey, dude. Hey, pastor dude, what's up? Hey, dude. You know, he was a dude. And we weren't, dude wasn't a language in our little, little conservative, you know, very traditional. But we sang the hymns. We even sang hymns back then. Would you turn to number 467 when we all get to heaven? We're going to sing hymn verses number one, two, and four. You remember we never sang three? You remember? Why did we always leave three out of the hymns? What's the deal? I feel sorry for, for three. Verse three was always abandoned until we came to just as I am. We sang all five verses of that until somebody repented. Somebody had to repent, but we would never say. My grandfather, when he would do that, we'd sing it over and over. I'd, sing, I'd run from the back and repent again. I'd get saved again just to stop and shut it down. <laughs> Shut it down. We got to go to A&W root beer stand. I'm going to get a root beer float. Shut it down. So I'm up on the platform, and, 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 and I finally sent the men out, and they got Dirk a shirt, pants, socks, and shoes. I want him to come to church with, with his dress clothes on, you know? Look your best for the Lord. Come on. So I'm sitting there one Sunday. Here comes Dirk walking in late. Hey, he's high-fiving, high dude, and everybody down the aisle sits on the front row and sits down, barefooted, no socks, no shoes. I don't see a burning bush anywhere. I don't know why we got our shoes off. I'm going, this is the house of God. What are you doing, Dirk? So when service over, I went down, I lined him up. I grabbed him and said, Dirk, what is the deal, son? This is the house of God. You need to wear your best. What are you doing no socks and shoes? And I'm just ripping him. He finally goes, he said, well, he said, Pastor, you know, you've always taught us, you know, to be like, be like Jesus, man. You know what I mean, dude? And he says, you know, I was like, you know, dude, I was like, uh, I was coming in here this morning. I saw this like homeless dude. And he's like pushing a, uh, like one of them uh, shopping carts. And man, I looked down, he had no socks and shoes. And I thought, well, what would Jesus do? You know, and, and so I just sat down and took off my socks and shoes and, and, and gave them to the homeless dude. You know, like, like Pastor, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Isn't that what you taught us? I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, you're talking about holy conviction. Oh, I, was like, I started crying. I grabbed that boy. I was loving him. I said, son, you're exactly right. And by the way, I learned this. You don't have to have a lot to be generous. Generosity is a spirit motivated by the heart of God. But it is a willingness that whatever I have at the moment that God prompts me, I'm willing to release to add value to somebody else. Because see, to me, here's what generosity is all about. When we live a generous life, we live with hands like this life. They're wide open. Lord, you put them in, you take it out, whatever you want. I don't hold on to anything. I leave it open for you. Now, the rest of the story goes on. If you read the rest of this, he cares for the guy all night using his resources, his time, his talents. And then the next morning, and look what it says here. 35, verse 35. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers, Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. That became the driving force of Christ's fellowship. We want to go and do likewise. We want to carry the heart of Jesus to the people that are broken and hurting and suffering. And in our area... We have both extremes. We have ultra-wealthy and we have ultra-poor and everything in between in our area. And I have found this. It doesn't matter how much you have or don't have, there's one common trait that we all desperately need. We're all desperate for a relationship with our Creator through His Son, Jesus Christ, that we were created by God and for God. And He planted eternity in the heart of every man. And nothing satisfies until we come into that relationship with our Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. We're all longing for that Father's love and affirmation. Every one of us are longing for that, desperate for it. People are struggling with their sense of identity and that lost sense of identity, and all they are in is in survival mode. They don't even know what it means to live life and enjoy life. And then everything around them is a train wreck. There are so many families come to us, they're devastated. Now, they've had all the money they need, but their marriage is devastated, their families are devastated, they don't have a relationship. I can't tell you how many men, they don't have a relationship with their children, they don't have a relationship with their wives, and, and they're out there struggling. They've been successful in the eyes of the world, but in their life, they've been a complete failure because they've not found the answer. And they've been stripped, robbed, and mugged, and they're laying on the side of the road waiting for somebody to come to them and care for them and love them. Pastor, I can't tell you how many times, how many times in my church I've heard this said, you're the first man that's ever hugged me. I'm a hugger because my grandfather's a hugger. I mean, he, he, hugged, he hugged. My dad never touched. My dad, my dad never said the words, I love you, never touched me. He never, that was not his family. That's not, he, he, his, his love language was, I'm going to work hard and provide for you and I'm going to make you tough so you can survive. But my, my mother's father, my grandfather, who was a preacher, man, he was, he was like, 
He was Dutch. He was, it was a Dutch background, but he acted like Italian. I mean, it's like, come on, man. You walked into my grandfather's house, you get kissed on the way in, you get kissed on the way out, okay? And you're going to be hugged four or five times in between. When, and, and I mean, it was just like hugging and kissing all the time. My wife grew up in a family, nobody hugged, nobody kissed, nobody said, I love you. In my house, we, I love you 14 times on the way out and hugging and kissing. Not my father, but my mother and my grandfather and my grandmother. My sister followed my father's side of the family. I followed my mother's side of the family. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I had this guy walk up one time. Stand up a minute. Stand up a minute. Yeah. Okay, now, I want to say that. This is a man right here. Turn around. Turn around. I want you to see. This is a man. This is a man right here, okay? Grab a seat. Grab a seat. This, that's a man. I just want you to know it's a man, okay? I had this guy walk up to me that was twice your size. He was a double-wide refrigerator, okay? He came up. He came double wide. I, he filled this aisle way up. He came in there. I mean, he was a man. I'm telling you, he was a man. He come up and he was saying, could you pray for my aunt and, and all this? And I'm praying for his aunt and, and, and we're having this time. And, and, and then I got done. I said, son, I said, give me a hug. And he said, uh, he, like, he pulled back. He, he pulled away from him. When he did that, I went in hard. I went in hard for him. I went, boom, I went in. I can only get my arms about this cl up close. I got like, boom, right there. That's as far as I could get around him. And I grabbed him. Now, I made a mistake. I pulled him forward. When I did, it, 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 the weight, he, he laid his head on my shoulder and his weight hit me. I started to buckle at the knees. I'm buckling. I think I'm going down. I could be crushed right now. I mean, when you have a double wide refrigerator fall on you, I'm telling you, that could be something else. And I grab him. I pull him in and I start trembling. He lays his head down and starts weeping on my shoulder, weeping. His wife's standing over. She's weeping. And she looks at me and she says it real softly. She says, you know, you're the first man that's ever hugged my husband. I told him, I said, listen, son, after I got him off of me, <laughs> caught my breath, got my strength back. I said, listen, son, every week I want you to come up here. I want to hug. I want to hug every week. And he comes and stands like right over here. I'll be ministering to people, praying with people, talking to people. He just kind of waits. He waits. And when we're all done, I kind of, I gave him a little nod. He, <laughs> he comes over. Boom. I hit him. I got to hit him hard or I'll get hurt. I got to hit him hard. And now I'm leaning into him. I'm laying my head on his shoulder now. <laughs> Timber Creek people are waiting for you to hug them and embrace them with your love and the love that Christ has put in your heart. They're desperate for it. They're desperate for a relationship that we found the secret to in the church. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why this all-in call, because it takes all of us to be the arms of Christ. When the heart is all in, I found this. Then the arms and the hands will be all in. And everything we have will be all in. And then God can work. About the only thing we did right in those early years is we were all in, baby. Everybody was in. Everybody rallied. When it came time to give, we all gave. When it came time to sacrifice, we all sacrificed. We went to build our very first building. We found a horse barn. 
And, and we thought, man, this horse barn could be a perfect sanctuary. And I loved it because we went into this horse barn. It's a big covered riding arena, and it was on four and a half acres of ground. And, and we went in there, and man, there was manure everywhere. And my elder, who was raised on a farm too, like I was, we walk in and we go, smell that, man? This is fertile ground in here. I'm telling you, this, 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 hey, God can do something here. Matter of fact, matter of fact, we had our first Christmas service in the building untouched. We just went and kind of raked some manure off to the sides, set some chairs up, put a little platform up when we first bought it. And we had our first Christmas service in that building. And I said, I told everybody, the first thing I said, everybody take a big whiff, smell this. That's exactly what Jesus smelled the night he was born in Bethlehem. That's right there. That's what he smelled right there. You're smelling what Jesus smelling. We went and tried to borrow some money from the bank. The bank wouldn't loan us any money. With all my, all my men that said they'll sign, they wouldn't do it. So I said, I don't know how we're going to buy this property if we don't raise the money. How are we going to raise the money? So I said, everybody go pray and figure out what you're going to do. Had a little woman named Debbie. She walked up to me after service one night. She said, Pastor, you know, my husband's not a believer, and we, I can't give anything because he won't let me give anything. She said, I realize the only thing I own that he doesn't have control over is this ring that my mother gave me, and I want to give this ring to help with our new building program. I said, oh, I, I can't take that ring, Debbie. That's too sacred. I can't do that. And my wife come up. She's crying. I said, baby, I can't do anything. You got to handle this. I can't handle this thing. And so Donna says, oh, we can't do that. And Debbie said, no, no, no. It's not your choice. God's told me I've got to give it. So I've got to obey God. So I received that ring from this mother. I wept over that. Stuff. I think, what in the world? I told some men to go down and one of some of our elders, I said, take this down to the jewelers, get her to praise, and then we're going to find the money. We're going to put that money in, the, in Debbie's name into the fund. But don't, keep, keep the ring, keep the ring, keep the ring, keep the ring. I was sitting, um, I was sitting, I sat about right here in, in, in our sanctuary today, and, and just, it was a, a few months ago, Right behind me in the 8.30, sir, we have six services. We have two on Saturday night, four on Sunday morning. Our first one's at 8.30 Sunday morning. We have 8.30, 10, 11.30, and 1 o'clock. So at 8.30, there's a couple sits right behind me. They're in their mid-80s. Their name is Benny and Vivian Ship. He used, to, he used to be a mechanic in the NASCAR, and then when he retired from NASCAR, being a mechanic on one of the crews, he, he started a sport fishing business, and he has a little home in Stewart, Florida. It has these boat slips, and he had his, like, 50-foot sport fisherman there, and he would charter fish. I've gone out, and I've caught a blue martin with him one time on his boat. And, and, and Benny's in our, our group, and they were at retirement age at the time, and, and you've got to go back, like, 25 years ago. And, and so I'm, I'm saying to him just recently, a few months ago, we had hundreds of people come forward in this service to receive Christ. And, and I turned around to Benny. I said, Benny and Vivian? What do you think? Your investment was worth it, wasn't it? And I said, oh, pastor, we had no idea when we made that investment what God was going to do. That particular weekend, we had over 1,000 people come to Christ. A few weekends later, we had a, a mass baptismal service on all of our campuses at, at the same day, and we baptized 1,600 people in one weekend. 1,600 people in one weekend. But when we hit that log jam and didn't have the money to buy the property, Benny and Vivian came to me and they said, Pastor, God has led for us to sell our home and we're going to give all of our home, the boat 
everything we have, which is our retirement, but we have no other money except our home and our boat, but we're going to sell our boat and our home, and we're going to give 100% of it to the church. And I'm going, you can't do that. You, how are you guys going to live? What are you gonna, you know, God told us to do it. We've got to obey God. They sold their home, brought $350,000 to the church, which got us over the hump. And then when they did that, I went home to my wife. I said, baby, Benny and Vivian have sold their home. They brought all the money of their home and their boat to the church. We're the leaders. What have we done? We're still living in our house. I had it paid off. I had, I, before I was in coaching, I'd paid everything off. When I went into ministry, they couldn't pay me anything for years. I lived off stuff I had stored up, kind of, you know, but I had my house paid off. I'd, I'd been in a good position. I had great paying college jobs. And so now I'm looking, we, well, we got to sell our house. I, we can't live in a house. They're, not, they're living their home. We're supposed to be the leaders here. Come on. I've always believed, man, if you have somebody to go a mile, you go two if you're a leader. If they go two, you go three. So, so I, I, I put my house on the market. It wouldn't sell quick enough for me. I like one that sold the next day. It wouldn't sell. So I go, I go to the bank and I remortgage my home to the hilt. Now, I'm not saying that's what you're supposed to do, but that's what we were supposed to do. So I remortgaged to the hilt, took that money and gave it. People sold everything they had and we raised the money and we got that first building up and we got going and God began to bless, moved there with a hundred and some people. Next thing you know, we're 300 people. Then next thing you know, we're 500. And then we were a thousand. Then we were 2,000, 3,000, 4,000. And then we were 4,500. And then we said, we got to get out of here. And we got out of there. Moved across the street. This farmer, he had a, a $4 million piece property. He came in one day and he had a contract rolled up. He said, I got $4 million cash deal on my property. You told me to never sell it, that God was going to use it. Now, can you match this offer? I said, of course we'll match the offer. He said, do you have $4 million? I said, no. <laughs> but God does. And that property's for us, Bill. Don't you dare sell that. You'll make God angry if you sell that, Bill. <laughs> I put in the fear of the Lord in him, you know what I mean? I'm desperate. He carried that mortgage for us. We went over there and built a new worship center. And you've been on that property with us. And that worship center doubled overnight. We moved in there with 4,000 plus people, and literally in one year it jumped to 8,000. Then it went to 12,000. Then it went to 16,000. Then it went to 20. I mean, it's crazy. We just bought an office building up in Port St. Lucie. We bought this building up there, and we were going to launch it with 300 people. We took 300 people up to launch a new campus in this office building in Port St. Lucie. By the second week, there were 3,000 people coming. There's such a hunger for the real thing of God. That it's just, we're caught up in an amazement. And that's why I said, look at Benny and Vivian. Can you believe what your investment has returned and the impact? We, we've had impact in all 196 nations of the world for the kingdom of God. I say that to his honor and glory, not ours. He took us way beyond anything we imagined because we were all in. By the way, I want to say this with you. All those people started with us, all those people in the schoolhouse, all those people sacrificed, all those people are part of the 100, they're with us today. They're engaged today. Their kids are there today. Their grandkids are there today. Why? Because they were all in. Their kids are all in. My spiritual father is a man by the name of Dick Smith, and he was our founding elder 33 years ago. He's the one that came to me and said, Pastor, I'm with you heart and soul. 
I believe God's leading for us to start a church, and I just want you to know we're with you 100%. The Smith family, we're with you. You know what it means when somebody comes up to you, pastor, and says, we're with you 100%, and have been with me on that journey for all those years. A year ago, he passed away. At his deathbed, I happened to be with him with his four children. He has two sons, two daughters, and all these grandbabies. I'm with him. We're playing hymns. I've been praying with Dick. I was holding his hand when this happened. I'm holding his hand. Dick is struggling in his final breaths. He literally was about 15 minutes from stepping into eternity that night. And, and, I'm, and I'm just there. And suddenly I watch the boys. They get up. They leave. They come back. They have a basin of water and a towel. They take at their father's bed, they rolled up the blankets, took off his compression hose, and they washed their father's feet. And as they were washing their father's feet, they were praying, God, would you put the anointing on us that was on our father to serve the church as faithfully as he served the church? I was, I, I wanted, I, I, I was weeping. I wanted to fall on my face. I wanted to go wash Dick's feet, but I wasn't about to interrupt that sacred moment of two sons washing their father's feet on his deathbed, asking for his anointing to be on them, that they would be servants like their father. Every week, those boys call me, and they say, Pastor, what can we do for you? What can we do for the church this week? How can we serve you this week? They're all involved in ministry. They're all in. Because, see, Daddy was all in. Their children are all in. His grandchildren are all in. Generations will carry on at that Smith clan. They're all in. Somebody has to stand up and say, you know what? I'm all in. My family's all in. We're with your heart and soul. Whatever you need, pastor, whatever the church needs, we're, we're going to give it. Oh, by the way. About three years after Benny and Vivian gave us that gift, sacrificed everything, moved into a little house we had on the property. They were homeless. They had nothing. About three years after that, God began to bless us. I called Benny and Vivian in the office. I had Dick with me, my elder. I said, Benny and Vivian, God's given us uh, instructions, something we're supposed to do for you. They said, what's that? I said, we have your $350,000 plus 10% interest for the past three years that we're to give back to you now. They said, oh, pastor, we gave that to the Lord. We, we don't want to. I said, yeah. And then God has given it back to you multiplied with interest. He's given it back. And we gave it back to him. And here's what I love about Benny and Vivian. That next week, a tithe check showed up. <laughs> I love people with tithe. You know what I'm talking about? And oh, by the way, when we opened the doors of the new building, had our first service, my wife called Debbie down, who gave the ring, and said, Debbie, by the way, uh, the God has something for you. She said, what is it? Well, come here. Because of your sacrifice, we're in here today, and the Lord has something for you. And she opened up that little ring box of her mother's ring that had been given to her. He said, now God wants you to have this back. We used it to help us get here. Now it's for you. Can you imagine the joy of that, of giving her that ring back to her mother that she sacrificed? I want to tell you something. I've learned this. I've given our house away twice. It's paid off again, so it's probably going to be given away again. You know, it's probably going to be given away again. I don't know if it's going to come to Lufton, Texas, or where it's coming, but it might be. Hey, 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 if you got Hey, hey, give me that thing. Give me that thing. 
I, it might come to Lufton. I might lose to Lufton. I don't know. But I want to tell you something. You can't outgive him. I, 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 let, me, let me put it in Texas terms. You got a little old, little old garden shovel that you dig and throw stuff out like that. God's got one of them big old feed shovels. You know what I'm talking about? Them big old wide feed shovels. Man, he. We don't give to receive, we give to give. We live to give. But there's a principle that when you sow, you reap. You can't, my wife and I, sometimes we get embarrassed. We say, my wife gets from me, she says, you, you come into our home. I tore my house down and built a new house where we were. And she, she comes in, she says, now you know God gave this to us. And, and the workers came over here. She's apologized for everything in the house. I said, baby, don't apologize for anything in the house. God gave us this house. We've given it away twice. We gave the old one away two times. We haven't given the new one away yet. It's about time for it to be given away. Glory to God. Can I tell you one football story real quick and we'll go? Have we got time? How are we doing? We okay, Pastor? All right, I'll tell you quickly. I, I took over a football team and, and a high school team in Florida and never had a winning season. They were a new school. They were only like five years old, but they never won. Had like 20-some players on the team. I take the team over. I'm a real young guy right out of college. And, and so I come down there, and so I start recruiting. I go around. I'm recruiting men in the classes. I'm everywhere that looks like an athlete on campus. I'm grabbing them. Hey, son, if you play football, come on for football. Come on. I want you to come on. And I went to the churches. I was in the churches, man. And we had integrated. The first year of integration was coming in our area. So I went to every black church in the area and talked to the pastor and said, you know, my grandfather was a pastor, and you know, I do a little preaching on the side, and, and can't, you know, and I'm going to be the new coach. Man, I'm up recruiting. I'm in the pulpit. I'm recruiting. I'm recruiting, baby. Anybody see? Remember the Titans? That was our story, except you, Denzel Washington's a lot better looking than I am, but that was our story. You know what I'm talking about? And so here we come out, and, and for the first tryout, there's 100 players show up for the team. 100. I line them up, most athletic looking guys and guys that played the year before and got, I want to give them good equipment. So we, we use up all the varsity equipment, all the junior varsity equipment, all the freshman equipment. We're down to borrowing from the peewee league. And I'm sending people out there to find anything you can in equipment. Finally, the very last guy comes up. Um, this is what he looked like right here. But, but there, there we go. Yeah, not quite that time. Anyway. <laughs> so his name is Carl Pierce. Carl walks up, little skinny kid. I said, son, what position are you going to play? So I'm going to be a wide receiver, coach. I said, okay. We got a wide receiver pass left back there. They said, no, coach, we're out of pass. We're out of helmet, out of everything. I said, you got to have something. Bring whatever you got. Well, the year before, there had been this defensive tackle who weighed over 300 pounds. They had a, one pair of shoulder pads left that fit him. They brought him out. I put those shoulder pads on Carl, and they fell down over his He stuck his arm up through the neck hole, and he said, I think these are a little big. I said, no, son, you can catch the ball from any position. You can spin those things around. So we took towel. We took all, you know, all those old towels we had in there. We taped them up with athletic tape, trying to pat them up. But no matter what you do, those things will fall down over you. Because he didn't have any shoulders about like that. I said, son, what size helmet do you need? A six. Man, that's a little pinhead. I don't know if I got a six. He had a tiny little head. I said, hey, we got a six? 
No, we ain't got no six. We only got one helmet. I bring it out. We'll make it work. Well, you guess it. It fit that guy, that 300-pounder, big old head like this. I put that thing down, triple cheek pads. We taped them on, took socks, stuffed socks up. But no matter what you do, when he would run, he looked like a bobble doll. The helmet would shake. And, would, and this is no joke. His very first practice, he runs out on the field. He's running out, and his helmet turns around, and his nose is sticking out the ear hole. It's pitiful. Well, we only had one pair of pants left, and both of his legs would fit down one leg of these pants. And we had no belt, so we took shoestrings in time. And here's Carl. Carl's got to hold his pants from falling down. Shoulder pads are off. Helmets turned sideways. You got it pictured? They made fun of him when he ran out on the field. He couldn't do any of the exercises. Everything he did, he had to do one-handed because he had to hold his pants. He couldn't hardly run through any drills. His pants would fall down. So he was relegated to holding blocking dummies. Well, it came time for our first game. I, had to, I told all the guys, if you work hard, have the right attitude, you're all in. You've got the right spirit. I'm going to dress you for the games. He, nothing hurt his spirit, man. This kid was all in. He wanted to be a part of the team. Nothing fit him. Nothing looked like. Nobody believed in him. They all made fun of him. He couldn't practice with the team. It was pitiful. But this kid wanted to be a part of the team, and he was all in. So I said, Carl, here's the deal. When we go out on the field tonight, you're going to be the last one in line. Run around, keep your pants up, get around the back of the line, and stand there. Don't move. Don't move during calisthenics. Don't, you hear me? Don't move. Just stand there. Yes, sir. We go out, take the field, call, stand back there. <laughs> we win our first game. We win our second game. We win our third game. We win our fourth game. We've now tied the most wins by this new school in any season. We got four wins, and we're 4-0 undefeated. We're going in against a ranked team in a state, and we're trailing the whole game. And, and, and about two minutes to go, about two minutes to go, all we got to do, we score the go-ahead touchdown. All we got to do is kick the ball off, hold them from one defensive series, and we're going to be 5-0, and oh, undefeated, the best record in school history. And I'm thinking, we're on our way to a state championship playoff, baby. Come on. All we got to do is put 11 guys on the field. And I had this guy from Florida State. He was one of my assistants. His name was War Caesar Jakes, big old tall, muscular guy. He was in charge of specialty teams. I look out on the field. We go out and we got the kickoff team. I look out there and I said, where's Caesar? Where's Caesar? We only got 10 guys on the field. Time out, ref. Time out. I'm hollering time out. We only got 10 guys on the field. And the referee hollers, you don't have any more timeouts. And he's getting ready to blow the whistle. I turn around and hit War Caesar in the chest. Grab him. Boom. Now, remember, I wasn't a pastor back then. I was a coach, okay? I went, boom. Cut. I said, get somebody on the field. He turns around blindly without looking grabs the first person standing beside him and throws him onto the field. My whole life flies before me in that moment. He doesn't know where to line up. He doesn't even know what direction to run. What in the world we're going to do? He, 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 run, he runs out there holding his pants like this. They blow the whistle and he takes off running. It looked like body parts were falling off of him as he's running down the field. Next thing I know, there's this massive collision about the 25-yard line. Our guys are hollering, fumble, fumble, fumble. I say, who's got the ball? Who's got the ball? 
I got a coach. I got a coach. He's running back out holding his pants. He's got the football. My assistant coach is going, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I couldn't believe it. I got the game films on Saturday morning. I watched the game films. He went running down the field. His helmet had turned sideways. He didn't see the ball carrier coming. And the ball carrier ran into him, knocked Carl down, and got tripped up in his shoulder pads. <laughs> he, he got tangled up in Carl. And then, and then the ball got knocked out. Someone speared Carl in the back, knocked him over onto the ball. And he goes, huh? Monday morning, I went to the principal's office and got a pass, went to Carl's home room, got him out of the home room, said, Carl, come with me. I put him in the car, drove him down to a local sporting goods store. I said, son, I'm going to get you some equipment to fit you. We had to go in the peewee football department. <laughs> and I got him a new helmet, new shoulder pads, and got him some pants. And had to get three pairs of socks. He didn't have a calf muscle. Three pair of socks to make his leg look like there was something down there, you know. <laughs> and we get down, I said, son, is there anything else you need? He said, well, coach, I want some thumpers. I said, some thumpers? Now, our guys called forearm pads thumpers because it's like thump, whoop, whoop, there it is. Whoop, whoop, there it is. <laughs> Boom. I mean, our guys had this wonderful cheer. My back's aching, my pants too tight, my hips shaking from left to right. Whoop, PBG, bad as they want to be. PBG, Palm Beach Gardens, that was the name of high school. I'm sorry. But they had this whoop, whoop, dead is, whoop, whoop, dead is. And he said, I, I need some thumpers. I said, why are you going to need thumpers? He said, because I think I'm going to become a specialty team specialist. Huh, okay. So I got him some thumpers. I told the boys, I prepared them. I had Carl wait. He came out of practice. They gave him a big standing ovation cheer. Here comes a kid everybody made fun of, nobody believed in, but this kid had a heart that wouldn't quit. I put him in the next game just to honor him between my two best players on kickoff. He ran down the field, and you know what happened? The running back was drawn to him, ran over him again, knocked him down, and got tangled up in him. I mean, Carl didn't run up and tackle people. He ran up and, like, laid down in front of them. <laughs> and it kept happening and happening. I never took him off the team. He was, like, leading the specialty team in tackles. They were tripping entanglements, but they were tackles. At the end of the year, the team voted him at, the, at, our, at our football banquet, the most improved player. And next year, we made him. We made him the honorary captain of the specialty teams. I don't know where you are right now in your spiritual walk because you may be looking at your life right now and say, you know, nothing fits me. I, I, I just feel like nothing fits. And here I'm trying to run this race, and I, I just want hey, here's what I've learned. If you have a heart, God says this in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord are searching throughout all the earth, looking to show himself strong on behalf of that one whose heart is fully committed to him. If you've got a heart passionate after God and you run hard after God, I don't care whether things are dangling off you or not fitting or running around, you can't see what you're doing. You just keep running passionately after God because there's going to be one day when God says, come here, son. I'm going to get you out of class. We're going down and get some things straight here right now. Get some things that fit you. And we're going to help you go to the next level.
All right, so let's get on our feet real quick. Get everything out of your hands. Get on your feet. Come on, let's go. Come on, get up, get up, get up, get up. Let's go. Quick, 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 quick. Come on, we got we to take an offering yet. Let's go. Get on your feet. Hands clear. Hands clear. Now, fundamental position is feet spread the width of your shoulders. When I holler break down, we're going to get in fundamental athletic position, which is this position right here. Let's try it one time. Ready? Break down. Get right here. Right here. Fundamental. Fundamental. Don't go too low. Some of you, we won't get you up. Okay? Fundamental position. Fundamental position. All right, so I say ready? Break down. to get in fundamental position. Ready? Break down. Fundamental. Oh, I like it. Now we're going to add a clap to this. The clap is one, two, three, one. Here it is. One, two, three, one. Let's try it. Here we go. One, two, three, one. So when I holler break down, you're going to break down, boom, 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 and then you're going to come up with a cheer of our champion, which is Jesus Christ. I want you to holler Jesus. Rattle. Make somebody have an accident on the road. They say, what is that? <laughs> well, stop in traffic, baby. We'll holler Jesus. And then when you're done hollering Jesus, I want you to look straight in the eyeball of two people, and I want you to say this to them. I'm all in. I'm all in. Make your declaration right now. I'm all in. All right, here we go, here we go, here we go. Come on. Now, if you don't do this well, you will run laps at the end of this service. <laughs> Come on, baby. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Get, get ready. Come on, get ready, get ready. I'm watching you. I'm watching you. Be sharp. Go down sharp. Go down sharp, and then boom, boom, boom. Hit it hard. Come on. You better shout out Jesus, too. Come on. Ready? Bring it down. <laughs> Jesus! I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in.